What's up, guys? Welcome <laughs> to episode 62 of the Kind of Funny Games cast. As always, I'm Tim Geddes. We're only seven away from the only episode that'll ever matter. 69. 69. Joined by the coolest dudes in video games, Colin Moriarty and Greg Miller. Hello. Good to be here with you today. No clapping. Hey. I just felt like clapping for you. You deserve it, Colin. No. You've been working hard. You deserve a little clap. For Colin. Thank yeah. you. Colin Moriarty. And for the first time in a long time, IGN Zone, Vincent Janito. Your Twitter threw me for a loop today. I was trying to find it to, to tweet about it. Uh -huh. And I'm like, all right. So I remember it was Vincognito. Right. But then I'm like, I wrote that in. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, it's your neat. There's yes. the neat in there. Yes. You yeah. had like three things going know, on. There's like the play your on name, words. the yep. incognito, and the neat all in yep. one. Cool. Yep. You did it. I did it. So that's fun. I explained uh, to I explained to Sean Finnegan, who's a, a video producer. He's a punk uh, ass bitch. Is what yeah. he is. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty <laughs> likes hiking. <laughs> Yeah, Kevin. Kevin agrees. Yeah. Right, Kevin. You guys, you guys remember Sean Finnegan? Oh, of yeah. course, good yeah. dude. Mm -hmm. And I was explaining to him the origin of that of that name. I originally had this horrible, horrible Twitter handle that was just a, a may have, may as well have been a random amalgamation of letters and dashes and things. I vaguely and, remember that. I yeah, think, and when I and when I came on, uh, Andrew Goldfarb, um, who's now our executive editor of news, it was like Vince, you gotta. You got to do something about that. So, that. so I, so I borrowed from uh, these people. Made a, a hate video about me when I wrote a, a did a, a Mugen Souls <laughs> review when I was a freelancer, and they and they hated me because because I gave it a low score. So they did this like half hour long hate video, and towards the end, I think unironically, I don't think it was meant to be funny. They they were like serious and angry. They were like, Vincent Genito, you're not Nito at all. <laughs> and I thought it was maybe the funniest thing I'd ever heard anyone say about me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm running I'm, with it. And I'm going to run with it. So I'm going to yeah. take their bullshit and turn it into gold. <laughs> maybe you're the first to say, thank God we live in the day and age now where you review a game low, you don't get any shit for it. Bro, yeah, right, I mean, it's such a better internet. <laughs> we, we will get those to that. That's going to be days. topic two of the day. Yeah, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, for those that don't know, here is the rigmarole of the Kind of Funny Games cast. Every week, we sit around a table. Not this table. Usually, it's a different table, because right now, we're in Patreon. Thank you, Patreon. The spaceship mm -hmm. of Patreon. Um, we're here. <laughs> that Thanks, was our life support <laughs> yeah, system. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> um, every week, we talk about video games and all the things that we love. It's broken up topic by topic, Monday through Thursday, over at YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games. And then on Friday, you get the full episode for free. On iTunes and podcast services, all, all that stuff. But if you want it early, you can go to patreon.com slash kind of funny games, pay a dollar, and you get exclusive episodes. You pay five dollars, you get this this show early in audio form. You pay ten dollars, you get it in video, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff on top of that. Whoa. So that's cool. That's the most detail we've ever given. I know you've given a lot of detail. <laughs> I like that. You're selling these Twitch kids. Oh yeah. Get sold. Topic one of the day is PlayStation VR. We've had a lot of false starts talking about this in the last couple days. We recorded a whole Reacts video. Right. And then the audio was messed up, so we couldn't put it up. Right. Then uh, we talked about it a little bit throughout the day. We opened on, on up the day one stream here from Patreon yeah. on our GDC thing talking about it, but we were exhausted. And it and felt weird. It felt like we were just kind of like trying to not copy exactly what we said the sure. last time, which I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I just think about weird things. I just anyway, say the same thing over and over again. We now have Vince, and he is I obviously have. the number one VR Knowledge base, obviously, clearly, yeah. yeah. So I'm the only person. <laughs> so, what do you guys think about this? We got some big news: PlayStation VR, three hundred and ninety-nine U.S. dollars. Yes, October twenty sixteen. Yes, 
uh, we cin- cinematic mode was announced. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what's in the box was announced. Yes. A lot of stuff. Not not a PlayStation Move. No. Not a camera. Not a camera. No. Things things you need. The internet's mad about this. I'm sure we'll get get to that, and Colin will tell everyone why they're dumb. Um, and yeah, that's what Colin does. Let's let's Colin. start off. <laughs> uh, the first thing I want to talk about about PlayStation VR is how surprising to me the reaction to it was. So until until they talked about the price and release date and all that, everyone has been mostly kind of cautiously optimistic about it, at least in my circles. It's always been like, oh, like, you know, it may, maybe it's not going to be as quite as powerful as the Oculus or the Vive, but, you know, like, hey, it'll probably be less expensive. It'll maybe be more consumer, you know, facing. And, uh, and like, yeah, it seems pretty cool. Everyone's like, you know, kind of low key about it. And then they announced the price and the date and everyone's like, it's ridiculous that Sony thinks this could, this idea could possibly work. I'm like, wait a minute, guys. We just spent like the last two years being like, this seems pretty cool. This is interesting. It works pretty well. I hope they succeed with it. And then the moment, and they they beat their com- nearest competitor by two hundred dollars, and everyone now everyone's like, this is ridiculous. Sony is committing suicide. And I'm like, it, it just seems like a, a very sudden shift in the conversation just over uh, an announcement that, quite frankly, was pretty predictable. Now it's real. Yeah. Now people have something to really yeah. talk about. It was kind of like Trump, where it was like, for a long time, nobody cares, nobody cares. <laughs> and now it's real, and you have to address it and say something about it. Uh, I, it's interesting you say that, I and mean, granted, we're, you know, our, we talk to each other about it, and sure. then the audience, and I feel like our audience has been excited about it, you know what I That's mean? That's great to hear. And now I feel like it's yeah. almost unbridled excitement, because now it's like, it's not $800, it is affordable. That's how I feel, and I yeah. can't believe there's so much, there's so much... So much of my Twitter feed and just so much of the articles that I'm seeing out there are just like these doom and gloom, what is Sony doing articles. And I'm just like, I'm... You saw those Amazon pre-orders, though, for the UK, right? That it sold out in like 10 minutes of the stock Amazon UK had? This is when when they announced the price of the Oculus, I was like, interesting, good to know. All Sony has to do is come in a hundred dollars under that, and consumer VR is theirs. Like yeah. that's that that's that's it. Like the they already have an installed base of machines that people will know will work with it. Um, and they've got a price that's once anyone sees VR anything, they're not going to care about the name or like which brand it is or whether it's more advanced than the other one. It's like people are like, oh, but the Vive is the clearly more more advanced machine. I'm like, you're what you're what by even trying to tell average Joe who doesn't know much about VR or who just thinks it's a cool experience when they see it at Jimmy's house or whatever, like you're trying to tell them, oh well this PlayStation VR looks pretty cool to you, but let me tell you about this Vive and why it's so much more advanced. You're you're trying to tell someone who rides a motor scooter to work every day how much better your teleporter is than the than the next guy's teleporter. Like they have literally no no like basis for comparison. No frame of reference. They yeah. have no frame of reference to understand why like the Vive is supposedly so much better. So it's like all that's going to matter once people, well, the first time someone goes to someone's house and sees it and experiences it, they're going to go, how can I get that in my house for the least amount of money? And especially yep. if they already have a PS4 in their yep. living room, the answer is clearly going to be PlayStation VR. I want to go to Jimmy's house. He sounds like he has Jimmy's a lot of the Jimmy's my dude. Yeah. Jimmy, my dude. Jimmy's good. I was I was the neighborhood Jimmy in my wow. That sounded horrible. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I was that guy that in my neighborhood. But anyway, let's let's move past that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, price point's great. Um, uh, totally reasonable. People are being babies about move. People are being babies about ca- the camera. Uh, because these are so called hidden costs. But the hidden cost, as I've said, of running Oculus is a two thousand dollar computer. Um, <laughs> so like you are like the, the price point of a PS4, uh, the camera and the VR unit, which is all you actually need. You don't need move controllers. Um, is going to be around eight hundred dollars. 
And that's way more reasonable than its competitors, no matter how much their devices, uh, no matter how much Vive could be free and PSVR is still more affordable because right. you still need a great computer to run it. And so I don't really quite understand the complaints about it. I think the price points uh, Thank appropriate. Thank you, and uh, I find that the my, my personal take on it is that, you know, uh, we talked to Lauren Landing about it this morning and he had a lot of ins- interesting insight into the pipeline and to like the, the reason that like Sony because he predicted at E3 and I thought it was quite counterintuitive at the time that Sony would be um, the most likely to capitalize on VR. And I was like, that seems ridiculous to me because, you know, Facebook has so much more money and so much more loose capital. Um, to invest in Oculus and there's gonna be other competitors but what his point was and I think it's well taken is that well Facebook doesn't have a retail structure Facebook doesn't have 20 years 20 something years of relationships Mm -hmm. Facebook doesn't have the PlayStation Network Facebook doesn't have like all these different things so you know or their own device like or their own box and that's the most important thing yeah yeah, so um do I think VR is going to succeed wildly at market uh, for anyone in the early years no I just think that uh, you know Sony's well you know well positioned to be the most likely to reap the most uh, rewards. And I will say, as uh, people have pointed out, um, that uh, like they're selling it and they're making a profit at four hundred dollars, which is yeah. fucking unbelievable. That is like unbelievable. When, when I when I when I heard that, I was like, they are eating it so hard on this price. Like I I, 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 I assume too. they were eating like literally one fifty a unit or something like that. Because like, that's this what is Sony does. Ch-. That's what Sony yeah. does. Yeah, they've done it with almost everything. Like PS four yeah. is profitable now, but PS three, uh, they wanted it to be profitable. Um, it wasn't. So like the fact that they're selling PSVR at three ninety nine with all of this advanced technology, it might not be as powerful as Vive. I don't really care. Like you said, like it doesn't matter. It's like the whole NES Master System Genesis Super Nintendo argument. No one cared. Yeah. You know, like um, so or even like the PS two Xbox GameCube argument. Like clearly, no one cared. No there. one cared. And believe me, as a GameStop employee, oh well, it was EB Games back then. But like as a, as an employee, like I I even tried to tell people about the power difference. I was like, why would you ever buy Madden on the PS two if you have an Xbox? People are like, huh? Yeah, like that's what I got. It's just like these things to the end user, ninety nine percent of the end users, I would even don't say matter. they don't care. <laughs> so um, the fact that they're selling PSVR. On a, on a system that is proliferating wa- more widely than PS2 over, uh, you know, when you w- overlay those ma- uh, those charts life over each date, other, yeah, life yeah, to date, yeah. uh, when they are marketing this thing at a, ch- a price point $200 cheaper than their nearest, most vocal competitor, uh, when they're selling it at a profit, so they have a market reason ab- beyond just uh, beyond just saturation, but they're actually going to make money when they sell them. So it's not one of those things where they're going to be like, well, like... We have this thing, and we, it's a sunken cost for us, and so we need to sell it. It's like no, like we actually we have sunk costs, and we can make them back quickly. We don't have to wait for the back end. Like right. we don't have to wait five years to get the software sales to make VR profitable. It's profitable right now. I think that that's pretty substantial stuff, and so um, I think setting yeah. their bar at the appropriate level changes everything for them. You know what I mean? In terms of what's we always talk about, it, I don't want it to become the PlayStation Move again, yeah. right? And I think that even if you have a weak launch lineup here, but you sell through these units the way that people are talking about buying them, and the way this Amazon thing went over the, right, overnight, I think that you suddenly have it where okay, I can I'm invested in this technology and I'm interested in this technology. And I'm going to go, and I think the sunken cost that you know people want to argue about here or there it works this way a little bit for the the vive and oculus as well but for playstation right i think the sunken cost already talks about you're already almost there well right. i already own the system sure and i'm such a 
hardcore gamer or hardcore PlayStation user or whatever you want to call me, core gamer, core PlayStation user, that I bought the camera because I wanted a Twitch stream and mm-hmm. I haven't used it for a lot of things. Like you have these things maybe already in your house. So suddenly it is like, well, yeah, I literally just need $400 for the unit instead yeah. of it being, yeah, my computer, I, I don't need the full 2000. I have a rig, but I do need a better graphics card. I do need a better this. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's even more streamlined and simpler than that. Let's say you have a computer that runs. That's great. It's like our tower. Like we have a great tower that we run the show on. That can run Oculus pretty easily. Oculus, if so, you're like, I'm interested in VR. I have everything I need. I have a PS4 and I have a great rig, right? Uh, even if I need a camera and two PlayStation Move controllers and PSVR, it is still cheaper than buying an Oculus. And like that, that that's why the arguments about like, I just don't even think it's the same audience though. Like I don't know. Well, it, sure. well, it's not the same audience, and it, but it doesn't matter. Well, there is going to be like a Venn diagram crossover of those two audiences, but that doesn't matter. I, I was talking more with Vince's argument about being like, "What is Sony thinking with the price and blah but blah I mean, blah on the see, camera bundle?" Is, and I'm like, "It's not so much." The, I, I think that that's a separate argument than even bringing the Oculus and the Rift or the Vive into it because it's like the the people that are upset about the price are just they're just upset about the price. For the PlayStation, that's the one they're interested in because they have a PlayStation and they're trying to do this. They're not, they're not the people with the rigs and you know trying to do the computer thing. They want the PlayStation experience, and that four hundred dollars is a lot of money for that. Oh, definitely. Like, let's not. I mean, let, let me not be misunderstood. Like, I'm not saying four hundred dollars. <laughs> if you don't have four hundred dollars, you're a peasant. I don't have four hundred. I still don't. I haven't. I'm gonna have to start saving now for my <laughs> for my PlayStation VR. So, like, I, I'm not saying a four hundred. I'm gonna buy a thousand of them. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> that Patreon. Money. Yes. Oh, yes. But- you it's, thought you were getting an animated series. <laughs> Fuck you. It's interesting for me because so you you're talking about how your circles are all like, oh my God, and like upset about it. Whereas Greg's talking about our circles being way more like, yeah, it was weird for me. We we're at the PSVR the press conference. And when the price went up, like my first gut reaction was, mm. And everyone, everyone around me is standing up clapping. And I'm like, this is fucking weird. It's we a weird thing up. for journalists to do. We didn't stand up. <laughs> there was, no, there was one dude that stood up. That's Don't know fine. who he is. You said everybody. Um, his name was Shuhei Yoshida. I don't know. I, I thought, I mean, the, pr- I, I, the price is amazing. Like, I, I, I stand by that 100%. Like, the, the, when they started the, talking the about the Oculus and Vive prices, Colin and I had to have that come to Jesus moment of like, do we not know anything? That's what we talked about on PS I Love You, where we're like, could they do it for two forty nine? Could they do it for two ninety nine? And then like Ox is like five ninety nine and, and and vibes like what eight hundred or something yeah, like that? 800, yeah. And it's like and we've used them both and they're great, but like uh, I was like, we did have the thing where I'm like, well, I don't think we have any idea what the fuck we're talking about. Like this PSVR might be a thousand dollars for all I know. Like now, like, but they were more in line. We actually predicted it on the on PS I Love You right before the thing where we're like, I was like, best case scenario two ninety nine. Probably three ninety nine. Worst case scenario four ninety nine. Yeah. And and uh, that they're right in that sweet spot. I, optically, I think it's going to be good because this reminds me of the inverse of the Vita pricing. When when so follow me on this one for a minute. When Vita was revealed as NGP, we didn't know anything about it. Everyone was like, oh, "What the fuck are they doing?" And then like when the when the Vita came out, so there was there was not a lot of excitement except for like with us. Right. Everyone's trophies like, we don't need- on the go. Fuck yeah. Everyone's like, "What is NGP? <laughs> Who cares?" And but when P- when Morpheus was revealed, everyone's like, "This is cool. Like, this is very interesting." Um. So there was already an opposite relationship there. When Vita was revealed with 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 uh, its price and stuff, everyone was like, "Holy shit!" And there's a lot of revisionist history out there that everyone forgets. But go back and look at the news from 2011. Where everyone's like, "Oh my god, this is awesome!" Yeah, people were like, "Yeah, like so cheap." It's so yeah. cheap and it's so, it's so awesome, and we, and we finally so played it, and it's great. And all and I, I'll never forget that. As long as I, I'll never forget that. As long as I live, I, it looked like the video was gonna sell 100 million units the way I, I was I talking it was about. Gonna it. End and end of the world. I did too. Everyone, <laughs> everyone reminds me. Uh, 
And then, uh, so there was excitement. And then the Vita came out and it just thudded, right? Well, because well, at the very end, they're like, memory cards. Right. <laughs> so, with P- so with PSVR, they've gotten ahead of it, right? They were like, okay, um, here's everything in the box. Notice there's no camera, you know? <laughs> Notice there's no PlayStation Move controller, which you do not need. And then, like, all, all of these kinds of things. And so, and then everyone's, like, lukewarm about it. So, like, with these, with these like, r- inverse relationships with each other, I'm wondering is that when it comes out, everyone's going to be pleasantly surprised. As opposed to the, to the whole Vita thing where everyone had these expectations and then they were destroyed in October of 2011 and November of 2011 when everyone's like, oh, the memory cards suck and the, these games don't even run online and what the fuck is near and, like, the 3G doesn't work and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, all right, like, so I guess what I'm saying is, like, I'm kind of trying to pay attention to the way people are doing this now because it is the exact opposite beat for beat of Vita, which has been a commercial failure. So um, this one feels like I feel like you both from the press and the audience, the expectation seems to be set at the appropriate level of like, this is tip of the sword stuff. And we went and played all these demos, right? And it's like, there was two real games there and the rest were like cool things that maybe it'll be nice and da da da. You know what which I mean? Which of the two real ones you played? Uh, I think, well, I guess I, well, from the event, we're, t- you, we're talking about Russia Blood. Until Dawn, Russia Blood, yeah. and Eve Valkyrie. And then I think Riggs is in there too. Riggs I want to play yeah. more Riggs, but I'm saying like those all like are, you can play them and be like, this is a full fledged game. What are you going to talk about? The hype? The super hype, the 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 killer to me, the the true killer app that's gonna sell the that's gonna sell it to like you know kind of like the the mom and pop who like don't know that this is cool yet. Yeah, like the I guess the Wii Sports or the Wii Bowling of of, of PS uh, PlayStation VR is gonna be super hypercube. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, yeah, is that the like the touch and like, yeah, touch take, yeah, yeah, take, yeah. take the thirty, take the the five seconds of fun that is Tetris, where you're like, here's a block, where do I put it? Yeah, and just and just blow that out into like an entire experience. I that's played like this one super, before. That's like super, just atmospheric and, 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 and absorbing. So the idea is this: you are um, you are situated behind uh, a block that is traveling forward towards a wall. The wall has a shape in it, and the idea is that this block, you have to rotate it so that the shape that it is you know, putting forth will fit through that hole. So you start out just a cube, so it's easy, like, oh, cube, square. But then as, as, uh, as you pass through walls, they add more pieces onto it, and it becomes this complex, ungainly, crazy shape that you then have to start rotating and manipulating so that it will fit through the differently shaped holes that are being shown in the and wall. And you can be looking at it from one dimension, or one side, one dimension, one side, and it does still look like a cube, and you rotate it, and it turns out it's super long, yeah. and it's got these like tendrils you didn't know about, exactly. and then you have to try to flip it. And the it whole idea it. is that the as the block gets bigger, it becomes harder and harder to see the wall, and it also becomes harder and harder, since you're only looking at one side of it at a time, to know what it is in three dimensions. So what you start doing is, you start looking around the block you start you know looking mm-hmm. past them you rotate the block a little bit then you look past it so you can see the shape of the wall and then you have to duck back behind the block and start manipulating it yep. again to try to to try to line it up and um it's it just take that 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 fun of tetris where you're like i've got to fit this this peg into this hole yeah and then it just makes that this like rewarding fast loop that's super atmospheric and like they every time you every time you put you get the peg in the hole the right way like it's just like there's this subtle magic, you know, it's like that, that that Nintendo, old Nintendo design magic of making a simple thing like like breaking a block into like four pieces, yeah. like that that sound effect and the way it feels. They just nail that so hard that every time you 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 figure it out and get past the next wall, you feel like invigorated and kind of like pumped up. Uh, it's a it's a mixture of sound design and the way it looks and the way it feels in VR. Uh, it's so, so also super smart because they they modeled. It's played on the PlayStation controller. 
but they actually model the DualShock 4 in like a Tron neon like outlined version in the game and the PlayStation camera tracks it you know, you're not doing motion controls. It's all traditional controls. But even if you happen to move it around, like the game tracks that. So when you're looking in to you know, when you're when you're in this world, you're also seeing what you're holding in that world, yeah. which kind of like cements it. Like I am floating yeah. through space with these geological uh, with these um, uh, ge- uh, geometrical shapes. Rather, um, it sounds it sounds hard to wrap your head around. But when you play you it, play it's it. awesome. No, when you play it, it's like you get it instantly and you just feel like you're out in space playing tetris yeah. and like tetris vr tetris in space i cannot imagine the mo- the 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 gamer disengaged enough or casual enough the person who like dislikes games enough to not because tetris i don't know what you guys remember but like like Dude, my, aunt, play, my <laughs> aunt played tetris my grandmother played tetris mom my mom played loves tetris exactly that's what i'm saying so it's like when when like my mom plays that for the first time that's it she's never come back to reality Sure. And I think that's yeah. the that's the one the biggest selling point that like all this the price if you have the money and you experience that clicking moment the money almost doesn't even matter it's just like this is cool and worth it it's then the question of how many of these, those clicking experiences are going to come and it's cool that you know we're talking about the, the games that we see are real games but then there's all these other things that are experiences and I don't think that's bad I think that we need a lot of those yep. experiences oh, and I, I think that PlayStation uh it's definitely the more mainstream and accessible way to to access them because if you're gonna get one of the, the PC ones, you're gonna be able to find all the weird indie things that the kids at home are making these experiences and they're crazy. You can do that nowadays with just PC anything, right? PCs yeah. have everything available. PlayStation is gonna hone in on here are finely tuned, fully you know n- nicely like just polished experiences, and I think that that's cool. And even walking around the demo room we were yesterday was it yesterday two, two days, days ago. ago. GDC's a blur. There's a whole bunch of different things. And you look at one thing, you're a seagull. You look at one thing, you're a golem. You look at, like, there's all these different like, stuff that's just like, man, that's that's really yeah, crazy. I mean, these are cool, but like, I do disagree that like, that it's cool to have those as supplemental things, but for VR to, for VR to succeed in the game space, it is going to need e-Valkyrie type games. It is going to need lots of those. It's going to need a lot of Ace Combat type games. It might. It won't. If, well, it, it it might. I mean, it, it depends on like the one question I have with this is what is the metric of success in terms of Sony really trying to subsidize big games and really trying to uh, use its first parties to get games? Because as we were talking about yesterday with um, with Gareth from uh, Gorilla Cambridge, right. Sony has one of their studios working on a VR game. So to me, it's like Sony, you know, Japan studio is working on games too, but they're working on a, a shit ton of things. They're like the Sony Santa Monica over there where they, they have their, you know, their hands in a lot of different pies, you know, a lot of different pies, a lot of different cookie jars. But like, as far as like a, a one studio working on one game, like Gorilla Cambridge is the only one. And I'm like, so are you, do you guys have like a pot of money that you want to give to second parties or third parties? Cause you are you, like, they, they must know that the answer, the salvation of this is going to be getting those big games and they're going to have to pay for them. And since PSVR is, um, profitable and since, uh, their studios are certainly inclined not to make these games cause I think they have the choice. Um, I wonder if they're going to be stuck in some sort of like kind of phantom zone where they're like, well, we, we the thing works and it's great, but we it's the same thing with Vita, but it's going to be even more pronounced because this ha, this yeah. is such a as Lauren was saying this morning, this is such a this is such a paradigm shifting, game changing kind of way of playing games. But I will reiterate too is the point I've made many times is that like who like I hope we get to a place in ten years where it's like who gives a fuck about the games? 
on P- on VR. Like, look at all of the cool shit sure. that it can do. I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying even yeah. now with the with the experiences and stuff. I think that that is the selling point. The games are the the extra like the oh the game actually works and the game's cool there is real games on this that's all extra it's the experience stuff that is really gonna gonna sell it it's gonna keep what will keep you engaged it's what lauren was talking about today that there's gonna be different experiences to bop around i and, and you know i think I, this is what i'm back to when i'm talking about ex- expectations i don't think you can be an informed consumer interested in playstation vr right now and be looking at it and expecting that you are going to get by the there's 50 games coming by the end of the year right october to the end of the year for this game you can't expect that of those 25 of them are going to be 15 hour experiences that i put this on no it's going to be i'm going to play rotate the cube for a while then i'm going to go play a couple Mm -hmm. of valkyrie things then i'm going to go see this gary the gull fuck around with that jump out but the other thing that i think is really cool is that there was one game i don't remember what it was called but it was that social the social one that she oh, was talking about. Yeah, yeah, about. yeah. We went over there and you're like, it's like the chat room where you're talking and throwing snowballs at and, each other. And what's cool about that is you just get these like kind of just like me-esque avatars that yeah. are in this 3D world that you're just walking around and then you can talk to people from all around the world but you're experiencing them in a 3D space so it feels like they're in the room with you and it's like that's the level of VR shit where it's like, is that a game? No, who cares really? It doesn't really matter. It's just, you can, it's like Ventrilo or any of those, the VOIP Stuff, but instead of talking to your friends on a phone or whatever, or on the the chat room, you can talk to them and it's three D audio. So when they move around you, it, you you get lost in that actual virtual reality. And I think it's th- those experiences are what are really going to push this thing. And it's like, oh, okay, take that, and that's lame to people like us. Like we don't really care about that. But how do you apply that into what games can be, sure, or what other experiences can be, and just kind of go from there? Because um, yeah, it's I'm in such a weird place where. This is the move. This is not going to do anything that the move didn't. Like, it's going to have a couple games, and when, when it works, it works awesome. Then there's everything else. But this is my uh, whole thing. I think Move and Vita, we've been talking about a lot compared to PlayStation VR, but I feel like the, it's it's been shifted, right? If we're, I don't know why I'm putting them in a triangle, but it's been shifted in terms of they're a lot in of front hand of motions there, which I appreciate. They're in front of the <laughs> messaging. <laughs> they're in front of the messaging this time. It is not the Vita is coming out and you're getting all these AAA console <laughs> games on the go, and it's not Move where this is going to, ch- this changes everything. Everything. You know, everything. Remember those, remember those, oh, yeah. those <laughs> I don't know. I don't think oh, at E3 one year they had all these Kevin Butler things and it was this changes everything, yeah. but then the the T was like replaced oh, with God, it, 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 yeah. read it literally, it was just every hang. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's I think they're in front of the messaging of I don't think you're buying it expecting those experiences. You're not buying it expecting move games are going to be one for one sword fighting. You're not buying it expecting you're gonna be playing Uncharted and Infamous and God of War all in your Vita. You're buying this understanding that you are buying into a, the building block of what, as she always tells us when we talk to him, the next 20 years of PlayStation. And this is wave one. And something that I also think that people are underestimating about VR in general, and like w- one of the reasons why I kind of disagree with you a little bit, Tim, is on this, is because because the idea of VR has been this vaunted pie in the sky idea in like science fiction and our con- like our kind of uh, subconscious desires of what technology can be for so long it seems like it's so out there that we're like yeah this is a total game changer and it's going to shift everything and so everything needs to be built from the ground up for it so that and what's that look like well it looks like experiences right like but what people are kind of forgetting i think is that for a very large and viable number of genres vr can literally just be a third axis of control like anything where you're sitting in a cockpit of anything that level of, of abstraction between what the, what you're seeing and what you're doing already exists. So, like, for instance, like, I played a demo of Drive Club retrofitted to work with the PlayStation VR. 
Um, I never, I usually never play racing games in in the cockpit mode. I lose too much situational awareness. Mm-hmm. I play zoomed out because that's just what I do. Here, I in in Drive Club on PlayStation VR, uh, the demo that they showed me, I was in the cockpit mode and I felt like I was more aware. And did it change the way I played the game? No, it didn't. It's an existing. It's literally a game that exists already, and they just supported like camera looking with the PlayStation VR. And now I'm driving, and then when I'm in, in the middle of a turn, and I'm instinctively thinking to myself. How much deeper or longer does this turn get? I'm I I can literally just do this while steering and know and, and not only is that immersive, but that actually makes my gameplay experience better. And so and that's an existing model, right? Driving games are things that exist and that we make and that sell. And Polyphony is doing the same thing. Exactly, yeah. with Gran Turismo Sport. So, you know, I guess my point is there's other things like Riggs is a great example of like a mech combat game. Again, that that abstraction already exists. I'm a guy inside of a mech. So, what I where I aim to shoot and where I, you know, how I move is a different thing from where I look. Except in Riggs it's not. They actually do do aiming by sight, which I don't think is a good idea. But Hawkin, when they were over here talking about it, there's a, a mode they use and they think professional players are going to, or professional, you know what I mean? People yeah. who are super into interviews where moving your head turns to everything. Oh, good. And I was like, that, oh, why, so why, why, glad. that was the most hard thing good. for me to wrap my head around playing it. I would have oh, loved that's to have great. had that. Like, and this is the thing. These are these kinds of games, like a, th- a third person team based combat game that just, so they, they make the uh, concession you're in a mech so that you can have the whole, I I'm looking, I'm the pilot and I'm looking somewhere while I'm shooting. Like that's, that's another thing that already exists. Um, you know, flight games like Ace Combat yep. or oh, Valkyrie, God, those, can't. those are genres. Wait. that already exists. We, we already have, like, I guess the qu- answer to the question is how are we going to get Sony or any other company to want to pay for making a game for the PlayStation VR? There's genres that they're already making that will be demonstrably, demonstrably better to play in VR. Uh, and I think that's going to carry a lot of it. Well, the, the, there's, there's, I think the bigger thing about, you know, because you're talking about like move. Move was not a failure for Sony commercially because they made money on it, but it is this thing that didn't proliferate. But what we're losing sight of, and it's one of the things we talked about, I think this is the most important piece, is that when we talk about the Wii mode or the PlayStation Move, and if you talk to Sony, they might claim that PlayStation Move was you know in development concurrent to the Wii, and they didn't really know. Them. I don't know if that's true or not, but... I bet it was. But, Richard but, Marks don't lie. The Move was like a, like a much better device than the Wii mode, and it didn't matter because you know it didn't much more because the waggle or like that kind of motion control had only gaming applications. And I want to reiterate that VR, if we're keeping our minds very small and very limited, if we look at this as being nothing more than the test bed for what VR can really do, which has nothing to do with games. And it doesn't happen very often or really almost ever where video games are the proof that something works. You know what I mean? When the personal computer came out, it wasn't until really years later, Apple One, Apple Two, when Apple Two really started getting going. Games were one of the things that helped prove it, but it was really like more, you know, office things like spreadsheets were really big and all those kinds of things. The biggest the biggest selling software in the mid to late 70s uh, and into the 80s when IBM PC came out was like, look what you can do in the office. It was like the games were like an ancillary kind of thing. Um, you know, even something like the original video game Tennis for Two in 1959 on an oscilloscope. Well, oscilloscopes existed as radar devices and all these kinds of things. But when we look at VR, it's like the first way we're going to get it out there is with games. It's just the proof of concept. So Waggle has no has no use outside of video games, but VR has every use for everything you could possibly imagine. And I want people to like think bigger about, you know, not necessarily with PSVR or Oculus, but like in 20 or 30 years, what can we do? And I was talking to someone about what if you had a three like a 360 degree really complex camera at your parents' house. Which your mom and your mom calls you up, right? And you put on the headset and you're catching up with the family and you're there. 
And by like, the way, those those 360 degree cameras are going to be cheaper, faster than you think. Yeah, of course. Just like every other piece of Based technology. Based on everything that we know right now, like those will be affordable. Those will be affordable, I think, for the average consumer in the next two or three years. I, I just think that like we have to look at things as bigger and more vast in games. I think the future, the 20 years of next 20 years of PlayStation might have little to do with games in the VR space compared to like all of the practical applications of like Lauren was saying, like, what if you can go to a concert? Right. What if you could, like I've been saying, like what if NASA, when they go to Mars or SpaceX goes to Mars and they're like, we're bringing all this complicated shit with us so you can put on your VR headset and just be there. You know, like that's way cooler than any video game yeah. because it's like, like that, like, so like I'm excited about that. And the other thing about like the, the AAA, the, we, there's going to be a dearth of AAA games available. There's no doubt about that. The solution, and I'm, I'm interested in this and I'm interested in how this might work with the processing power of the PS4 and also the, the, the workflow of the studios is what if when Far Cry 5 came out, they were like, here's the $60 game. It runs on your PS4 and your Xbox One. It really only matters with PS4 for PSVR. Um, and you can play it as is. And you can download this 20 or $40 attachment to it. And like this will let it run on VR. Like in other words, like give the studios a way to like make a little bit of extra scratch by because it, it, it's way more complicated than that. The game has to run at 120 frames a second. It has to like yeah. be rendered twice. It has to be like like things that are like really hard to do. Um, give them like a little bit of like financial incentive to be like, can we can we take the $60 game and make it a $100 game and run it on VR? And would that be worth it to people? I don't know. I just I'm just trying to figure out like and, and kind of brainstorm solutions to the AAA problem because there will be a AAA problem if the game will only run on VR. But what if like it, it could run on everything outside of this theater mode, which I think is like not the, the answer. Like what if you could just download the, um, the next kill zone and it's like, well, it's $60 on PS4 and it's $100 on PSVR and it's and you but know, it seems like everybody who's talked to us about that has said it can't do that, right? Well, like, it can it, it can't do that as it is because you'd have to you'd have to like yeah, you do you have to do things in 3D yeah, the, you can't and, just you have throw to do, and, and the HUDs and all that kind of stuff right. like can't exist in a flat plane and all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm saying. Like it would basically be like developing a game twice. Yeah. But like maybe the 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 core of the game's already there, so it only costs them 25% as much and they make their money back. I'm just trying to brainstorm solutions that I would I feel would, like we get in that's where we get into like BioShock's move integration though, right? Where it's like, "All right, cool. It's not the whole game. It's this gallery or whatever which yeah. could be cool as we talk you know i mean as we're literally talking we talked to mike bithla today who's putting out volume coda which is a free add-on to it and there you go you know yeah. what i mean like this is him taking an existing game adding in a bonus to do it i'm killing it's, vince vince is dying <laughs> it's a it's a good, dude, it's, dude vr is so exciting it this is, is so exciting this is, is like so is motion gaming i was oh my so, god I, it's nothing, not even on the same i mean i'm not saying that they're the same thing but i'm saying the way people are talking about this is literally can the exact same way people yeah, are can, talking can, about can, motion can, gaming it's gonna be so cool when this happens it's gonna be so cool when that happens yeah it will it's not gonna happen well what what was like i i mean maybe i'm just not remembering i was in college and it was a very fuzzy time for me but when when we came out what was anyone talking about outside of gaming that we, that motion control can do? No, but I mean, I'm not even talking about outside of gaming. I'm even talking about just gaming. No, I know, but See, but that's but that, that's what I'm saying is like that's that's the the fundamental core is like big minds and I'm and none of which are at, like at this table because you need like a Lauren Landing type mind to really wrap your head around this or a, a Cliffy B or like someone that like sees you know like and understands shit that we just don't understand a, a Steve Gaynor yeah someone like that but like. When you see a fucking Wii mode, it's like, this is what it does. You do that. And it didn't even like live up to its promise of like, you know, one to one sword fighting or anything like that. But when you see the VR unit, my mind leaves games almost immediately. And I think that that's the, that's the excite. That's it's, I think this changes everything. As, like, like I, I keep talking about the clicking moment. And I feel like with the, the motion control, when it worked, when it, the one out of five times it worked, it's like, oh shit. 
I'm actually doing this. I can pull an arrow back and do this thing. That's crazy. And then you're like, oh, now I'm out of the, the field of how they want me to play. So it's fucked. And VR, I've had that exact same experience every single time. When it works, it's fucking magical and awesome. And that's why I'm in the weirdest place with this, where it's like, I want this thing. Like, I do. I, I think I'm going to buy one. I'm still on the fence. But it's like, I want to want it. And I want it to be good. But it's like, it's not. It's not this crazy thing that's like, like all this stuff you're talking about, about it's going to be, it's cool when this happens and this happens. Like, man, we're so far from that. It sucks that like the great minds, they need to be on it right now doing the shit because it's well, not worth the 400. Some of them are, and they're going to need, the, they're going to need the, the, the proof of concept and it's going to take boldness and it's going to take risk taking and, and, and all the things that market capitalism encourages and then, you know, either ruins you or makes you. Um, I just think that VR is permanent. It's not going anywhere in 50 years. It's going to be ubiquitous. I think that. Um, AR is another thing. I mean, augmented reality might even be more important depending on how people play with it and what they do with it in terms of like having your own heads up display and stuff like that. Like as you're walking around very Google glass, uh, uh, kind of thing or whatever. So I don't, I don't know. I just see this as like so exciting because the, like this is, this is a, this is a technological branch that like, is like, as Vince was saying, is finally being realized and people have been talking about VR for decades and been messing around with it for decades and in sci-fi for almost a hundred years. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's amazing. Like, it's just so funny. Like it, we live in an age where like we, you know, Isaac Asimov and all these guys talk about, you know, right. Or Ray Bradbury writing about, you know, or whoever writing about rogue AI and now like Bill Gates and um, all, you know, all these great minds are being like rogue AI is like probably going to happen, <laughs> you know, like, and it's probably, and now like, and you know, Orson Scott Card and all these guys are writing about virtual reality, basically, and all these kinds of things. And now it's like, now it's here. It's just, it's just an amazing thing. No one was, Waggle is, is just a gimmick. This isn't a gimmick. Like, this is, but I mean, it wasn't a gimmick until it no, was. No, but to me, see, here's, here's where I disagree with you on that, though, Tim, is that to me, the second I saw the Wii mode, it was a gimmick. And the, as soon as I saw that you could not put a traditionally designed game on that controller because it didn't have enough buttons and other functions. I, I was like, I don't care about this. I'm not interested. All this can ever be is is this gimmicky thing. And if that gimmicky thing is strong enough to hinge an entire game on, then great. I guess that'll be one good game. And if it's not, well, then this whole thing is going to fall apart. The thing, the strength to me that has been undersold in the way that VR is put forth to the public, because you're right, it's to so much of it to convince the average uh, the average person out there who's not necessarily a huge gamer, you do need those experiences, right? So there's been a focus on that. So I think this this next point that I'm about to make gets lost a little bit. It's, but it's kind of similar to the point I made before, is that VR does not replace a controller. VR is, I hold a controller in my hand, a traditional, real controller that is designed to adhere to the to the currently running design paradigms of game of video games. And on top of this, enhancing this is an extra degree of freedom, control and interaction. Um, to me, it's less like introducing waggle and having waggle replace analog sticks or having waggle replace all these buttons, which is what Nintendo tried to do with the Wiimote. And it's more like the first time I used an analog stick and went, this changes this adds a whole other act. When I the first time I messed around with the N64 controller, I was like, I can do things I materially could not do before. Like I can run, I can have Mario move in little tiptoes. I can have him move at like kind of like a, a, a walk, a jaunt, a full run. And it's all with the subtlety of my thumb. Like to me growing up, I, I was like, that that blew my mind wide open in a Toys R Us the first time that I experienced that. And that's what I had when I played Hawken 
which now isn't really, you know, like on Oculus, you know, the, the mech combat game. Um, when I played Hawken and I could have my guns trained on a guy on my left, I could be strafing right and I could also be looking over my left shoulder to see if there was anyone on my flank. I was like, I never want to play a game like this where I can't do that ever again. Just like I felt the first time I could move Mario with that fine degree of control. I was like, I never want to play a game where I can't move my character with that final level of control again. So I actually think for for, for traditional gaming, uh, for traditional gaming, as long as it's in a genre that, like I said before, works properly with it, or as long as they can find ways to adapt other genres like third-person shooters and first-person shooters properly to that concept, it, it doesn't have to replace it or become a gimmick. It literally just becomes another layer on top of it that makes it more nuanced in the same way that adding analog controls made made video game design and the experience of playing video games more nuanced over digital ones. Yeah, very well put. Yeah. I mean, I to me, I still go back to it. It's not just Waggle. It's the the pointing thing did the exact same thing, and people just didn't like it. So I just I just think you know, it, it's just going to take vision, and I, I I think that I think it's already obvious where this is going. Like it, it's it's going to be a slow burn because it is one of those things where you can't you can't. The, we always talk about November and December two thousand six were so seminal for we because that's when everyone put it in their bags and brought it home from college or brought it home to their parents and showed them like, Hey, everyone look and grandma can play Wii bowling and everyone can see this is going to be even more complicated because you can put your PS4 and your VR in your bag and bring it home. But then only one person can see and you look like a doofus when you're playing it. Um, but I, so it's going to be the slow burn, but I'm telling you this is gonna be a wildfire. Like, like it's, it might not be in five years. It might not even be in 10 years, but this isn't going anywhere. And like, but neither is I mean, whatever. It doesn't matter. The motion's not going anywhere either. You need that for, to have that immersive experience or everything is, Tron-like controllers in front of you because they're playing in a controller in the VR world. I remember everyone was talking about, like, I can't wait for a first-person shooter when you can actually, you move the analog and you're using the pointer to, to shoot, and it is the motion controls for that. And it's like, then we got Red Steel. We sure it did. it was almost cool. But we sure did get Red Steel, didn't we? So, I don't know. We'll see <laughs> how that all goes. <laughs> Topic two. It's impossible to review video games. I'm, I'm glad it's not actually impossible. Because <laughs> not I literally not have a job. Yeah. So <laughs> you review games. Be, yes and and recently, um, last week, as of the time this post, you posted a review for The Division. Yes. And you're getting a lot of opinions about your review. Yes. Reviews of your review, if you will. Yes. How do you feel about that? I think it's great. Uh, you know, like honestly, like I, I um I, again, forgive me if I say things like yesterday or this morning when when sure, you sure, guys sure. are re you know watching this, it'll be or listening to it, it'll be uh you know last week, but um but you know I posted the final scored version of my review for the division uh, last night and um was gave it a, a six, I gave it a, whoa, I gave it a six point seven, <laughs> which is an entirely solid, decent score. Oh my that's, word! That's, <laughs> why are you turning into a southern gentleman again? Sweet tea. I would like southern woman. I would like to remind my, my southern my southern female friend here and and of those of you at home that on the IGN review scale, six point seven six is the okay. What yeah. we call the okay range. So a six point seven is is okay. Very closely approaching. Almost what I would good. call good. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is like, I, I just want to say, I want to make it clear. I don't want to come out, out and sound like, oh, woe is me. I have to deal with all this punishment. You want to know what? The um, At least on Twitter, the overwhelming majority of my admittedly very small following. <laughs> Everybody follows. Has, has, has been 
I totally disagree with 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 your score, but you know what? That's cool, man. Like you had you made your points, and like to me, that just that makes me happy. I, I want games to be a place and critique to be a place where different uh, points of view can exist and where people passionately and there can be a rational know, discussion about it. And there can be. And I was very proud last night. I, I I like the division a lot, and so I'm on uh, the subreddit. And uh-huh. I jumped into the re- subreddit last night, and they had it up there. And I went in there, and lo- a lot of people were like, "Man, I don't agree with it, but he makes a lot of good points, and he is calling out this issue." Sounds more like, th- but it wasn't like there was a, there was only one at the very bottom with like no upvotes that was like typical idea. <laughs> they did not get paid enough for this, and then some guys like that's not cool, and then they argued about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that was the that was the talk this morning too. It was you know how how a, su- a surprising number of people on that Reddit on that Reddit thread actually were were willing to advocate you know kind of for us. And and say, hey, look, this looks like a legitimate take on the game. But like, whatever. I don't want to self congratulate about whatever the division. But yeah, you're great. You know, damn, aw, thank you. But yeah, to to your, to what you're asking, Tim. Like, yeah, it is it is hard um, because we get so attached. And I'm part of this, right? Like, we get so attached to these pieces of art and these pieces of entertainment. And I've certainly been there, and I'm still there. I'm still attached to them. You know, when people when people talk shit on Evolve, I still get a little bit bristly because I loved that game. You know, I, I gave it a nine and a lot of people and actually recently now because of this review, are like, how could you give Evolve a nine and the division a six point seven? And when they start talking shit about Evolve, like I don't I don't I don't like, you know, want to fight a dude or anything. But like <laughs> I can feel it in my I can feel it like there's something personal about that to me because I really identified with and loved that game. I thought it was a well-designed awesome experience that really spoke to me and like so when people want to be like it's you know when the people hate on it i i i feel that in my heart like i'm like no it's not that you're denying a part of who i am so like it's not that i'm blind to it i totally understand why when people read a review that is not in line with how they feel we just identify with the things that we love even more so in games than other and then in other mediums and maybe a little bit I'll admit, even for myself, maybe a little bit too much. So when you know you're putting forth a critique about something that a lot of people are, they hold dear and they're going to care about, and they're probably already making great memories. In the case of The Division, they're already making great memories, you know, going on missions with their friends and having a good time. Like, it, people are going to feel a little bit slighted and people are going to feel like, mm-hmm. like um, the best people of those will not attack you, right? But even though they don't attack you, they will go, hey, it's too bad that, for instance, here's one thing I read a couple times in my in my Twitter comments. People go, "Hey, respectfully disagree with your review, but you know, good job." This is and a few people said this is why I really think that there should be committee reviews because you know having one person review a game means that there's other perspectives that aren't going to get seen, and they didn't quite word it that way. But I was like, this is how much we want to make sure that people with our tastes also have a voice like it is a point to to people who care about the division to some people who care about the division which by the way you shouldn't be worried about because the game is ubisoft sold kind of well <laughs> it's sold, right. sold kind of well ubisoft's most successful new franchise i think ever yeah um in terms of sales so don't worry the division's not going anywhere uh, regardless of what anyone has to say about it let alone me um but there's this feeling where you're like, hey, I, to make sure that this is commercially viable, to make sure this product that I care about and believe in gets the due that it's worth, someone at a high, you know, with a with a big sounding board needs to say what all of us feel, which is that which is that the game is a lot of fun and the game is great. So I didn't say that, right? 
and they, they're willing to respect that, but they still hold on to the idea of you're kind of wrong, right. and someone who's right needs to say it. Mm. And that's always hard to kind of, you know, to kind of dole out, because even just from a review's process, like, how do you... Well, that's, how do you do that? That like, was always the thing when we were at IGN. People wanted it's like, well, no, we can't do a review. You can't dedicate three people to one game, especially with, like something with yeah. the division that's so huge. Mm-hmm. But what always cracks me up about the committee argument is like, oh, that's a great idea, and you live in that world. Literally every site in the world is reviewing this. If you, if you need a number, if you don't need a number, Metacritic. yeah, there's that. <laughs> at IGN itself, they've started a division podcast you could listen to and get all those voices out and see all that. And to double back to your Evolve comparison, I saw people talking about that in the Reddit yeah. thread too, right? That's also one of those things that's so hard to separate the wheat from the shaft, right? Of like, you reviewed Evolve as Evolve is or and was at launch, and this is what it, how, you know what I mean? And like, you, you want to get down into the nitty gritty of mechanics and how team play would exist in this, and when you run with a squad and how everybody, and like, that's all well and good. And Evolve had awesome systems and all these great things, right? And then it came out and it didn't find an audience and it fell away, right? Yeah. That's not. Needs, that that doesn't need to be reflected in your review. Your review wasn't reviewing the experience and reaction and uh, you know the lifespan of Evolve. Right. You were respo- You were reviewing the mechanics and what it was and what it stands for. In the same way with the division, you can't sit there and be like, yeah, okay, missions are repetitive and da da da. But if you have a great thing with three friends going on, sure, yeah. Because everything is better with three good friends, right? You know, mm-hmm. at that point, you know, like a, a horrible, and I'm not saying The Division is akin to a horrible movie, you know, like, uh, but, you know, a bad movie is, can be a lot of fun if you have three friends along for the ride. That, that, that you know, that doesn't necessarily make it a, you know, a now, better movie. Bump though. a few stars into the review. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. You can't really, you know, you can't really, you can't really look at it that way, even though it's arguable that there are some movies that are better as a social experience, just like there's some music that's better as a social experience. But like as a crit, as a critic listening to it, or experiencing it in a vacuum, you just can't you can't project what that experience might be like or how it might be you know affected. I think the one thing, uh, having reviewed, I guess a couple hundred games, I would say, yeah. is that is that you know people don't when people criticize criticism, I don't think are critics. They don't they don't take into account how difficult it is to criticize something. And I don't mean like literally like it's so hard to say this sucks or it's so. But what I'm saying is like getting into the mind and the way of being a critic and being total like and and accepting the subjectivity of criticism and um there are games have objective facts but not many and like it runs on this engine it's on this console it costs mm-hmm. this much like those are basically the facts everything else i can think this game controls like fucking magic and someone else can be like this game is trash and no one's right um I don't think people take that into account about like how difficult it is to kind of put yourself out there and do those kinds of things. And I remember that feeling, that almost sinking feeling uh, I would get when I was about to publish yeah, any review. Your, 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 your like, finger is hovering over the button. It's a unique feeling. It like is. It's a feeling that's all unique to publishing a video game review on a massive site. And I remember feeling it to a few good examples. I remember when it last, when I reviewed the last one, I gave the last one a 10 and I thought it was so clearly a 10 and I stand by that. It's a, that game's a masterpiece. It's one of the great games of all time. Um, but I remember, and I didn't know at the time, I had no idea because I always tried to, I, I know a lot of people in a lot of other places and I don't have, I don't talk to them like about games when I'm reviewing them or when I was, because I didn't want to like have that seep in. I didn't want to know what anyone else thought. And I really thought I was going to be the only one that gave this game a 10. That was not even remotely true. Right. But I was like, here we go. And like, and like published it and, you know, waited for the feedback, which was actually surprisingly positive, but I know I was going to get called a fanboy and all these kinds of things. And like, it's, it's hard not to take it personally. It's like, I, I. But the the one thing with I bring the Last of Us up particularly is because I think the Last of Us, 
was read by about two million unique people. My last of us review. Two million people. It didn't have two million hits. It had two Almost million certainly more since uniques. you've left. Yeah. You know, since the last time you checked the metrics. I'm and sure. then I look at the comments and I'm like, there's ten thousand comments. Right. You assume three comments per person on average. Some people probably left 20. Some probably left one. I'm like, so 3,000 people think I suck. Maybe. <laughs> Two million people read the review. Probably a lot of people bought it or was turned on by to The Last of Us by and turned on by it. I was turned oh, on yeah. by The Last of Us. Yeah. Um, but then I think about the other end of the spectrum, like when I reviewed uh, Castlevania on 3DS by Mercury Steam, which was not a good game, even remotely. They, they had no idea what they were doing with that game. It was terrible. And that wasn't terrible, but it was bad. And I remember getting that other feeling where like the defenders of the game, even though it's not even out yet, are going to come and and have something to say about that as well. So it was such a unique feeling. It was the, the only other mirrored feeling I had was when I was writing a controversial op-ed, which I was well known for it at IGN. And it's like one of those things I where I'm talking about and I'm like, I got to put myself out there. That's just who I am. It comes with a certain amount of repercussion. But I think that people don't often think about the personal nature of of criticism and that like I don't go into any game thinking or or assuming or wanting to hate it. But sometimes you do hate it or sometimes you just like it. Okay. And sometimes you love it. And my, my only job was to be honest. And that's what I, that's what I tried to do with my reviews is just put the honest, the, the most honest sentiment of how I felt about it on the, on the, the digital paper and hope that it resonated with people, or whatever. But I just felt like it, I felt like just like with anything on the internet, it gets very personal. It doesn't really focus. It's a lot of straw man attacking, like the whole IGN getting paid off thing. Like you still infuriate me because I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you have any idea? Like we're like, Basically living in poverty over here. You know I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't understand. Like, like who's getting, who's getting paid to like, to like, re, you know, review this. G- I always loved it when so it was ridiculous. like you gave an EA review a bad score, and they'd be like, well, clearly Activision paid them off. Cold War shit going way. on yeah. where they're yeah. like, you know, oh hey, who's reviewing? Oh, hey, here's a check. I think it was yeah. Marty, it's so ridiculous. It was Marty Sleva, uh, who I don't know if someone else said this before, but the first time I heard it said was Marty was Marty said this in the office sometime last year. I think it was. He was like, seriously, the next time someone accuses me of of taking a check. For, for a review, I'm just going to take a snapshot of my bank account. Just silence <laughs> everybody. Like, I'm literally living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, it's, it's funny because they, they get mad when it's like, oh, so they paid you to give us this good score. Or it's like, oh, IGN, you know, didn't pay or didn't, you didn't know, pay get enough. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, what? Like, how does that even make <laughs> it, sense? It, it, God forbid we come to the most logical and basic conclusion. Which is that this is the way the person felt about the video game. <laughs> it's a fucking video game. That's like what I, that's like, that's the one thing I was like, I'm like, it's a video game. There are games, but, but I guess I just think differently. And I think a lot of people actually think the way I do, but maybe of, uh, the, my, the, the, the silent majority feels this way. But when everyone, you know, like when I talk about, you know, like I love Mega Man or something like that or Castlevania and everyone's like, mm-hmm. fucking Castlevania sucks. I'm like, I could give a fuck less if you think Castlevania sucks. I love it. You know? <laughs> so like, you're not enjoying Castlevania has literally zero effect on my life. And like, so pe- like people, it's the same thing. Like we talk about 311. Like I talk about my sisters. Like I grew up, like my sisters make fun of me all the time, viciously for liking this band. And I'm like, I don't care. Like go listen to whatever the fuck you want to listen to. I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to. You not liking this band literally means nothing to me. And so like, you know, I, I don't understand why more people don't walk through their, their lives like that being like, what does this guy think about that? Maybe I can take something valuable away from it. Wait, maybe I'm not, but I'm not going to let it affect me to the point where I'm writing like an angry tweet or an angry message. At them. I'm like, why do you care? like at the end of the day? My whole thing is like, why do you care if this person gives the division a 6.7? Are you are you Eve's Gilmore? 
You know? Are you like, do you have like millions of dollars riding on this game? Like, otherwise, I, I don't get it. It is that vocal minority, and I think a lot of times when they get bent out of shape about it is the concern. I, I always love the argument you'll get of just like, this could really injure sales. This could really, they're afraid there's going to be this chilling effect for the game they love that, oh, it reviewed poorly, so now everybody's going to step back and not buy it, and then there won't be as much DLC, and there won't be this, and there's not going to be any support, or more people won't play it. And yeah, that's all the these like thing. end of the world scenarios. I think, I think, I I think you might be right with some people. I think you might be giving most people that feel that, like that do that shit way too much credit. I really do think it's a more, I think it's a way more visceral, like it's a validation thing. Yeah. It's you like, know, it's they so weird. Want their like, exact feelings to be validated, which on a scale from one to 10 is almost impossible. You know, it's like if you would ask them, what would you give this game? You know, like this game that you love so much, would you give it a 10? And I feel like that's the thing is like, it's the, it's hard to, like a 6.7, or it was 6.7, yeah. that says a very specific thing, you know? That yeah. says it's not an 8.5, and it's not a 10, and it's not a 1, you know? And I feel like a lot of other people can't wrap their heads around, all right, you either, it, it gets boiled down to, did you love it, did you hate it, or is it okay, you know? And if someone doesn't nail exactly that sentiment that they're feeling, they're going to be upset about it because they just want to be validated. I think also part of it is is that what, what what makes it a more extreme scale than it would seem like it would be. Because you'd think with uh, that with a 100 point scale, there's a lot of nuance there, right? Like there's there's a, as opposed to a, a five or a 10 point scale, there's all there's all these gray areas that you could, you know, position your opinion in. And yet the there's this other problem of. Uh, the 100 point scale, which is that invokes at least here in you know for us in our country, uh, in the United States, um, maybe less so other places, but for us it definitely invokes the school grading yep. mentality, like which is an ingrained mentality of like a 65 or a 60 depending on where you went to school is, is failing. a failure. That is there is nothing like there are numbers below 65, but there is no grade. You can get below a 65. Like once you hit 65, it doesn't matter where you go below that. It's a failure. And so when 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 I put out a 6.7, a lot of people, a lot of you know, a lot of smart people, even they have been told since since the since the beginning of their rational minds existing that that is almost completely unacceptable and on the verge of complete disaster. And it's just not. And I can, you know, and, and to be to be fair to all those people, I can point to the IGN review scale all I want. I can invoke that as much as I like and be like, look, this scale right here that we made up says that a 6.7 is actually almost good. And I'm not saying that that's not true and that people shouldn't read the scale. Please read the scale and please understand that that's, that's the number system that we're using to rate it. I would love it if you would. That said, I'm not too surprised that a lot of people don't do that and they look at it and they go, well... This game I'm enjoying to this site is a complete disaster. And it's like there should be more nuance there, but it's hard to when you have that preconceived notion about the way the numbers are supposed to work. Sure. As opposed to, say, a star system where, you know, like I was having this, this discussion with our reviews editor, Dan Stapleton, this morning. He was like, you know, it's funny is that if we, have a, if we had a star system, if we gave the division three out of five stars, no one would be. No one would be upset with that. And that's mathematically a lower oh score. It'd be it'd be a six. You know, yeah. three out of five would be a would be a six. Exactly. Yeah. But no one would be upset about it because they, they don't equate stars to grades. Mm -hmm. 
But like when you have a 100 point scale, you, you equate it to grades. And I think also then it's, it becomes comparing it to everyone else's scale. And as you giving a 6.7, someone else gave it an eight and they're like, well, everyone else is giving it an eight, but it's like they're grading on different scales. You right. know, you can't just compare all of them. And, and they're also different people. <laughs> yeah. And it's, there's so many different factors and that's where it gets hard because it's not just, there isn't an answer. And like what Colin was saying earlier, like there is no rules, you know, yeah. it is just opinion. And like, yeah. And also to say, well, I totally appreciate, you know, Colin is coming at it very much from the standpoint of how stressful and even a little bit ridiculous it can seem for people to to have a strong kind of emotional reaction to your, you know, to 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 your critique. That said, uh, while that can be overwhelming to handle and deal with at times, you know, that's definitely a, you know part of the job and it's hard at times uh, until you. Well, it's always hard. You, you get you get better at managing it, but like you know, there's no ways about it. Having your feed filled up with or your messages or your email or whatever filled up with people directing anger and aggression at you is you know like unless you have no feelings, it's not the best thing. Yeah. But that said, we should not use that as a reason to say let's not be critical of how we critique because we absolutely need to. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that video game critique. As a whole, and I'm not saying that I'm uh, I'm not saying I'm I'm exempt from this either. I'm not saying I'm some great you know paragon of, of of critical acumen, but the way we critique video games as a whole across our industry, this is big sites, small sites, at IGN. We're not all we're not nearly all the way there. We have a lot of work to do before video game critique has the level of nuance, uh, understanding, and insightfulness um, that that readers and viewers deserve. And so we should not, yes, we should defend ourselves from being attacked personally, but we should not defend ourselves from having the way we do our work critiqued. Like, yes, there's no such thing as an objective review, you know, objective. I agree. You can't, the the idea of it being objective is, is completely eliminated by the fact that I'm a person (laughs) and I have a different perspective than you do. Exactly. But just because it, you cannot make, just because an objective or fully objective review doesn't exist, doesn't mean that a balanced critique does not exist. And we're not all we're not all there yet. And that's where I think we should listen to our you know to our viewers, listen to our readers, um, and sift through some of the anger and aggression and see like the truth that's in there about how we can get better at it. Because video games deserve that, and so do the people who play them. Well put, amen. <laughs> Topic three. Vince, since we have you, you're known for one thing in particular, oh and that thing is fighting games. <laughs> fighting games are really interesting to me because a couple of weeks back we did a, a topic that was what are the five games that kind of you know best describe what video games are. Sure. And I was kind of coming at it from the the, the viewpoint that like you kind of got to think of the genres and like what genres represent video games. Sure. And I believe fighting games have to be represented. Like that is just there's something core about fighting games that that is video games include a fighting game. Every launch lineup for a console needs a fighting game. <laughs> this is just a thing, right? Having said that, I don't particularly love fighting games. I don't, you know, I'm not great at them. I don't really look forward to them coming out. You love them. Yes, I do. I want to talk to you about the history of fighting games and okay. kind of the evolution and what are the ones, the franchises that matter and how do they stay relevant? The franchises that matter over the course of history. It's funny because some of the games that matter the most I think never became franchises, you know, like the, some of the Justice League Task Force, <laughs> Sega Genesis. You're telling e- me, brother, Eternal Champions. You know, like, <laughs> no, but uh, 
like the formative it's funny because the formative years of of fighting games um really it's like it's like uh karate champ and yayar kung fu and and most people don't you know don't know those games haven't played them they 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 were not those did not become franchises you know it's funny because because people it's always like the doom wolfenstein dichotomy where people are like yeah doom is you know is responsible for first person shooters and it's like eh, not really you know like, <laughs> yeah. so when people are like well street fighter is responsible for fighting games i'm like eh, not strictly speaking true there were iterations of that before and i would even say that I'll say this, the original Street Fighter, and I'm a Street Fighter guy, that's kind of like my core, you know, my core fundamentals come from Street Fighter. The original Street Fighter, I don't think is any more seminal for the for the for the genre than Yair Kung Fu is. You know, like to me, where Street Fighter becomes a historically relevant and important franchise is two. Because not only for fighting games, but for video games in general, um, Street Fighter 2 does or evolves idea you know it, it creates ideas and and evolves existing ones um that have a reach beyond just fighting games so like for instance like there weren't a whole lot of games in arcades in like 89 when street fighter 2 comes along there just aren't a whole lot of video games in general where you can select a character like that for the most part, you know, player two is using the same person as player one, you know, just with a different outfit or something. And a lot of games don't even have aren't even, you know, some games aren't even multiplayer at all. But like, the you know, the idea of here is an actual cast of characters, eight distinct tool sets, you know, look at, by comparison, like the easy comparison is something like Super Mario Brothers, right? Like. Player one uses Mario. Player two uses Luigi. They're the same exact. They're the same exact thing. The literal same exact thing. Um, so to have to this point, games are about one tool set that you learn intimately, and the tool set's usually pretty basic, involving like two buttons at that point, maybe three, you know. And uh, and they're like, no, we're gonna we're gonna take that. We're gonna give you six buttons, and then we're gonna say along by taking those buttons and then having them do different things in different contexts am i jumping forward am i jumping straight up am i close to my opponent am i far from my opponent am i crouching when i press this button um and then also adding the complexity of if i press this button plus a direction or plus a series of directions um which was a concept that did exist in street fight in the original street fighter but only in a very limited uh, to a limited capacity um so this idea of these intricate complex um uh, input systems street fighter 2 is not just relevant to fighting games it's relevant to video games like video games just don't just don't do that very much but at least not at that point there that was like an unheard of thing mm -hmm. like you think about the difference between uh you know gunstar heroes and i'm here to play gunstar heroes okay mm -hmm. cool so gunstar heroes what's one of the main differences between gunstar heroes and contra and contra you can literally only move jump and shoot right um move jump and shoot in Gunstar Heroes, you can do a half circle forward with an attack button to do a slide attack. You can press forward with attack when you're close to an opponent to throw them, to pick them up and throw them. Um, these are things that, these are mechanics, These this idea of adding these nuanced uh, kind of directional inputs along with buttons that work differently in different contexts. That's that's Street Fighter. Like Street Fighter is the, is the popularization of that concept. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of... No, I mean, this, this is exactly what this I wanted. Is what, no, this <laughs> is what he wanted. Yeah. So, what about health bars? What was the game that originated that kind of idea? Oh, God. Well, health bars... Health bars go back well prior to... Uh, you know, are you talking about in the fighting game genre or in... Uh, or yeah, in video games in general? Fighting games. So, so Karate Champ doesn't have the... You know, which, which I would... I would call Karate Champ the original fighting game. It's... People debate about that a little bit, maybe. But, but I... You know, Karate Champ is... Is I, where, where I where I kind of draw the line and say okay, fighting games are born, um, and if I remember correctly, um, I was very young when Karate Champ came out, and I played it a little bit in arcades, but um, I don't think there was an actual health bar in there. It was more like a karate style, uh, karate tournament style, where like you score points, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, health bar that starts with Yair Kung Fu. Yair Kung Fu had uh, had health bars, and Yair Kung Fu uh, predates. The original Street Fighter in arcades by I think a year. I think uh, Street Fighter, the original Street Fighter is eighty five, and I believe Yair Kung Fu is eighty four. Uh, I'm pulling out that off the top of my head. So yeah, Health Bar has been around, uh, you know, almost uh, almost from the beginning. But but how does a franchise stay relevant? Um, you want to know what's funny is that the way a franchise stays relevant. Ironically, I think is something that I care about a lot less than a lot of other fighting game fans or a lot of other people who love fighting games is um is characters you know it's characters like the the when you have a compelling design that's got a memorable silhouette and an easily identified like archetype you know like ryu is he's karate man like that's all he is like that's all he is he's he's karate man but like it's so prototypical karate man you know with his headband and the white gi you know and the black belt you know what i mean it's it's so it's so iconic. It's instantly iconic, and people that becomes an anchor. I feel like Ken and Ryu are an anchor for uh, for that franchise. That at every point in the game's history, people who had stopped playing since the last numbered entry, they see Ken and Ryu, and instantly they're like, "Oh yeah, this is what I remember. This is what I know." And I think that's what keeps it relevant um, over a, a long period of time. And the reason I say that that's something I care less about is like I don't get people think this is crazy. Like, oh, you don't love Street Fighter? Then I'm like. I'm not attached to Ken and Ryu. I just, I don't, I'm not, the, the way they look, like who they are, their story, what they do, you know, they are, uh, they are a toolbox to me. That's all they are. That's what they are. They're just a toolbox. And in terms of Street Fighter, they're the most basic elemental toolbox. I, I haven't used them in, in a, like regularly in a, in a Street Fighter in, maybe not ever. Honestly, maybe in Street Fighter 2, I played Ryu. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've, branched out i play other characters i don't really care about that anymore because it's about the toolbox to me but the thing that i can't lie i want to look at other fighting games too like mortal kombat you know mortal kombat it continues to be popular on the back of besides obviously violence which you know people like people like but people are always like what word association uh you can't say like blood or gore or whatever like Word association. What's a phrase that you associate with uh, with Mortal Kombat? Fatality. Okay. Finish him. Okay. Sub-Zero. Get over here. Get get over here. Get over here. Scorpion and Sub Zero are you know they emerge as kind of these these uh, polar opposite um, almost literally mascots <laughs> in the way in the same way that Ken and Ryu are and people mm. and so and so people. Every time they play a new Mortal Kombat, every time they see a new Mortal Kombat, as long as that's there, they they grab onto it, and that's the that's the reason why other franchises that I think are equally deserving 
haven't caught on as much because their their character designs are actually more nuanced and complex in some ways than Ken and Ryu are. Like like our system. Like I, I said once in a review of uh, I don't know if I said this in a yeah I said this in a, in a review for um, for Guilty Gear Plus R when it came out on uh, on Vita uh, a couple years ago, and I said in a review if there had been any justice, the second family, the second duo after Ken and Ryu would have been Soul and Kai from from Guilty Gear. To me, they're just more interesting characters than, than Scorpion and Sub Zero. They're visually more evocative. They have more interesting tool sets to use. Um, but an iconic, easily identifiable character that people just understand immediately once they see them, what they do and what they're kind of what they represent in terms of story and character. People really graft onto that. And like, that's why street fighter three, for instance, kind of had some problems. Cause yeah, it had Ken and Ryu didn't have Chun-Li until third strike. And that was the third rendition of street fighter three. And then they had a whole cast of, as, as far as other people are concerned, just strangers. They see guys like 12. He's like this weird alien who like morphs into like different shapes. They see Q. He's like a private investigator robot dude. They're like, nope, this ain't, <laughs> this ain't Honda. It's not Dalsum. I don't care. You know? And so Street Fighter 3 was loved in the competitive in the, in the competitive community. But like, I remember, I remember the day like Street Fighter died in my like arcade was when like, you know, Street Fighter 2 was this game that was always surrounded by people. And then Street Fighter 3 came out and I tried to get people to play it and like everyone was like, no, where's Guile? Where's Blanca? <laughs> I don't know who these people are and they don't, they're not easily instantly, I can't easily and instantly put them in a box that I understand. So I'm just, yeah. I can't emotionally connect to it. Can I, can I, I've, we've talked about this in the past. I love picking your brain about fighting games and that's one of the things I always respected about you is as a critic and stuff. You understand fighting games and I like fighting games. I'd like to play them, but I'm not very good at them and I don't know them like you do. Why isn't Arc System Works bigger? Because it seems like on a technical <laughs> level, like Arc System Works games are like actually way better than, than even Capcom's games. Nonetheless, nonetheless, you know, this like Mortal Kombat to me like was always like even like when I played Mortal Kombat back in the day, I'm like this game kind of like sucks. Like like, compa- like compared to you know Street, the Street Fighter and Reptile. It's hard for me to hold my tongue when 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 these things come up because like so if to me if there was justice in the world, you know Guilty Gear, which is Arc System Works, you know Blaze Blue, Persona Four Arena, even I love Persona Four Arena. Like these games would be the biggest the biggest deal. Um, so yeah, why haven't they taken off? I think kind of what I'm talking about is part of it is when you look at when you look at even like the equivalent of Ken and Ryu or Scorpion and Sub Zero for Arc Systems works would be Soul and Kai, and like they're when you look at them, they don't instantly they don't they're not mirrors of one another necessarily uh, visually in terms of their tool sets. They they don't have as much. Uh, of an of an analogous tool set as Ken and Ryu do, um, it doesn't immediately create that idea of a rivalry in people's heads. Like Ken and Ken and Ryu and Scorpion and Sub Zero, as much as I don't necessarily think they're interesting as interesting to play as as some other characters in those and either of those games, they there's a built-in story. Like for Ken and Ryu, it's the it's the clash between discipline and self-expression. You know, like Ryu is this is this on the path I have a I have a mission I have a duty to make myself as strong as, as I can be and Ken is just like whatever bro I'm just gonna throw a bunch of kicks and have a good time and be wild and like that dichotomy 
is very easy for people to graft onto emotionally and conceptually. So that that stays with people. Soul and Kai. And Dan. And right, and then there's Dan, right? <laughs> <laughs> the weird friend who tries too hard, you know, and never quite get quite gets there, but you root for him. And you know, Saul and Kai just don't they don't tell they don't visually immediately tell that story. They're both way more interesting to look at. From a design standpoint, I don't feel like it's not even a discussion that they're way more interesting to look at and more interesting to try to master. Well, well yeah, that's what I was gonna ask is that these games just seem mechanically way deeper and that might be why they're not as like and I'm not saying that Street Fighter isn't deep no, by any stretch of imagination. I love Street Fighter. I love, it's I love, tremendous I mean, my, my heart's with Capcom in terms yep. of fighting games in terms of games I play but mm -hmm. it just seems like these games are beautiful like they're and anim the animation and art is is through the roof. The music is awesome. The, the, the music is here. Oh like, my god! And, yeah. and and the movesets seem to be really complex as well so I, I, I think is that maybe something to do with it too like it's just not friendly to play. Um, so I think that was uh, the case a little bit with Guilty Gear in the sense that um, Guilty Gear is is probably I might be hanging myself a little bit here, but it's it's almost inarguable that it's probably the most mechanically complex and deep 2D fighter um, ever made. Um, I would I would say that as a fr the franchise as a whole has a whole bunch of systems and things that no other fighting game was doing at the time and that a lot of people who played it even avidly didn't really understand or know about. Um, but I think Persona 4 Arena has done a better job of, of communicating that depth to people. But I think the communication of depth is the problem in that not so much in that like the Arc System Works games are, are overwhelming to play. Because I think if you pick up Persona 4 Arena and you do the same kind of like mashing that you do in Street Fighter, if you don't know how to play, you probably have even a better time. You probably see more cool stuff, actually, because that's the way the game is designed, to try to let you um, get your feet wet a little bit more easily uh, than some of the other uh, games in the series or in the genre. But I think the bigger problem is this. I think fighting games suffer from the same, and Arc System works as a result of this, suffer from the same problem, problem that MOBAs and... MMOs have in that people who want to play them have found the one they like. <laughs> they found the one they like. They know why they like it. It serves their purpose. Like in Dota, in, in, in MOBAs, it's Dota or League. Like there, there have been other great MOBA, uh, MOBAs that, you know, Heroes of New Earth is, is a, is a, was a legitimately very good game. You know, like uh, Demigod was a, was a legitimately very good game. Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis was not, was not a bad game either, man. Like, absolutely not. Infinite Crisis wasn't bad. Uh, Smite is a very good game. You know, these are all good MOBAs. They're not anywhere close to, to Dota and League. And not because they're necessarily so much worse as games, but it's because... People only need one of those. Once once you find a game with that much mechanical depth to it, like you're kind of like, I don't need to learn. It's like it's like learning a language. It's like, you know what? I want to learn another language. That will be that will be rewarding and interesting and useful to me. So you choose one. You learn Japanese. Like I have spent years studying Japanese. I know Japanese. Cool. Well, here's some other cool languages. Yeah, those languages look cool. But like I just spent years learning getting and good at Japanese like I don't really need mm -hmm. I got my I got my language learning fix my exotic language learning fix from 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 Japanese I don't I don't need these other ones they're fine and I think fighting games have the same thing people who love uh, fighting games and want to get into them mechanically in any kind of deep way I think the really top level people who are just they love learning systems they play everything because they just want to every new system 
of rules is a new puzzle to solve and I'm like that I love every like all kinds of different fighting games because I want to learn all those puzzles but I think for anyone who's not thinking of it that way they think to themselves fighting games are a lot of work and I need to learn a lot of things and so once I've learned the core fundamentals to be decent at Street Fighter I'm good Mm -hmm. I don't need to go and start from scratch in a new language and I think that's why people uh, haven't la- didn't latch on. That's why Arc Systems Works games as, as as spectacular as they are have not caught on more because they're two languages that came first that kind of the mainstream got their got their hooks into and now people when faced with something completely unfamiliar or a language they kind of know already and this is just a you know MKX is just a new dialect of Mortal Kombat that people are already you know. Mm-hmm kind of familiar with right so you got the choice between a di- the you know a different dialect and a language you know already or having to start from scratch and learn a, a, a new language people are gonna are gonna pick something they have a base in it right? yeah for sure i think on a mainstream level you know you saw street fighter 2 and everyone played that and then street fighter 4 came back and everyone's playing that but in the middle there was street fighter 3 mm. that from an outsider's point of view is a little bit more akin to a guilty gear type game in the sense that it's different you know it's sure. still the same language or whatever but it's just it's a step away from what they expected there wasn't the characters and all that <laughs> mm-hmm. stuff during that time there was also the kind of 3d fighter the rise of that with tekken and virtual fighter mm-hmm. and all that stuff what do you feel about those games so um you know i have i'm i'm going to admit this here i don't exclusive. have any, i don't have exclusive kind of funny exclusive um no i i don't want to say that i have a bias against 3D fighters because I would make it sound like I, I actively hate them and dislike them or I don't want to give them a shake. But I remember I remember the first time so when 3D when polygons were literally a newfangled thing, just like brand new, like virtual racing is in arcades and it's blowing people's brains to little itty bitty pieces because they can't believe what they're seeing. The one of the first times I saw no line at a Street Fighter 2 cabinet was when my local arcade got a Virtua Fighter. And I took one look at it. And you have to understand, in the early days of Polygon, of, of 3D visuals, everything just looked like shit. It was just like a... I felt like it looked like shit even then. Like, it was yeah. impressive, but I remember looking at this being like... I thought it looked... I looked at it, I said, what is the artistic merit <laughs> of, of... You put in your monocle. <laughs> yeah. your pipe. I'm like, well, what, is, what is visually interesting to you about a conglomeration of, of gray squares? <laughs> like, what is it visually about this that you find it... I couldn't... I didn't get it. I didn't understand. I'm like, how could this be interesting to you? You're, you're, you're fighting in the same plane... You know, with a little bit of lateral movement, granted, so that's that's a novel idea, right? There's lateral movement that that exists, but I was like, visually, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. And I remember as a young man being kind of angry about it. Like there wasn't any, <laughs> no one wanted to play Street Fighter anymore. And I'm sitting over there, like you know, Mister Lonely Pants, at the Street Fighter cabinet, and like, there's all this line of like people. They got their friends, their family. They're all having a good time. Grandma's their, there in a yeah, walker, cheering Billy dogs. <laughs> you know, there's you know, they're they're the hamburgers and they're like their pizza, their bad arcade pizza. This is great, you know, you know. And I'm like sad. You're playing twelve, right? Okay. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember, I remember that, and it, so from that point on, there was always this mindset in my head like those are a different. A different peoples. Mm-hmm. Those aren't my people. Now, but now I know that's not true, right? Except 3D fighters, a completely different set of core competencies 
from 2D ones. And um, I think where 3D fighters started, they first gained their foothold on the novelty of, look, you can move in, mostly to a limited degree on it. It's always funny to me that they call them 3D fighters because they are still mostly 80% played Mm-hmm. Like this sidestep to spin the world yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Always have it. Like yeah, the, the, the number there's few 3D fighters power where stone. where yeah like power stone right exactly where you're actually like moving all you're using the entire plane for the most part it's like a quick sidestep that gets you out of the way of something mm-hmm. you know it's not you know 3D in the sense that you're maneuvering a 3D space it's still mostly 2D so it's a funny abstraction but. The the still the core competencies are actually despite the fact that they look structurally similar are so different like what we would call footsies in 2D fighting games in like Street Fighter you know where you're using these different you know your your, your best range pokes to kind of out inch your opponent that's like one facet of how 2D games are played but that's almost literally what. 3D fighters are it's it's literally a dance if you watch Tekken if you watch high-level Tekken players and they've learned how to Korean back uh, how to Korean backstep it's a kind of a, a weird mobility uh, technique that you learn with the stick you know you'll see them jockeying and moving in these really you know in these really frantic kind of jarring looking ways and you're like what are they doing and they're literally trying to occupy a space where they know their opponent has a move that they think will reach from there because they want them to throw it out so that when they throw it out and they make a subtle move backwards and that misses, they can then counter with their own move that does work at that range. Those are, there's literally millimeters of space being jockeyed for and judged visually um, to make these things happen. Um, and that's kind of what typifies 3D fighters um, in a way that, that you know, that's the, to me that's the main difference between... Uh, 3D and 2D is that 3D is very squarely about that game of inches where 2D is about it's it's that's that's a foundation that's a big part of what we call the neutral like the the neutral game like when you're not on offense or defense it's the part in between mm-hmm. you know like that's that typifies some of the neutral of of fighting games of 2D fighting games but then there's things like you know there's projectiles which are largely not a part of you know 3D fighting games and then you've got things like so Okazemi, which is like the game that happens once you, the part of the game that happens once you knock someone down, you know, 3D fighters have always had a very, very rich Okazemi uh, game. Like people standing up in Tekken or in Virtua Fighter have all these options. They can roll this way. They can roll that way. They can get up with this kind of attack or that kind of attack. In, in 2D fighting games, there's still Okazemi, but it's a, it's a, it's a little bit more constrained. Hey, does your character have a dragon punch or something like that to wake up with? If yes, then you can throw it randomly. If no, well, get up and block. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whereas universally in Tekken or Soul Calibur um, or Virtual Fighter, there's just a universal set of like 10 things that someone can do when they when they stand up. So then as the aggressor, I knock someone down. I have to think about all these different permutations and how to follow up effectively on that. So it's really 3D fighting games look similar, but they're a com- I want to say they're in a completely different language, but they're definitely occupying a totally different space in terms of the skill set mm. and the mindset in order to play them, in my opinion. Um, so they kind of appeal naturally to, I think, a very different group of people. Yeah. Are, are we running later? Because I just want to. We are. We uh, are running later. Oh, sorry. Go for it. Though. No, no. I, well, I, I want to just ask where SNK kind of sits sits with everything now with King of Fighters 14 and stuff because I just feel like. Back when I was young, at the ground round on Long Island, playing Neo Geo machines, playing World Heroes, and, As you, and did. you know, like you know, 
Samurai Showdown or like whatever we were playing. Sam like, Show. Uh, like, Sam Show 2. I love like, Sam Show 2. I just felt like they waned so hard in in like they were so like that seems so cutting edge even compared to Street Fighter and they, they were contemporaneous and even you know obviously beyond that and kind of in that space between that and like Mortal Kombat kind of coming out in my mind. Um, I don't know if the dates actually match up, but like, what what happened to them? Like, I I just thought like I just they're around and they're making games, but I just don't know like why. So the 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 the, the quick version, because I know we're over time, and I'm sorry. The quick version is you that monster <laughs> is that King of Fighters in the modern sense. So King of Fighters has mostly a proud core in South America. Um, that is South that is South America's game. Like they like South America will fuck America up in King of Fighters. <laughs> All, 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 all day, every day, and I, and we, and we are in what was a few years ago the King of Fighters thirteen capital of 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 North America, San Francisco, Northern California. Like this is where like we built the the King of Fighters thirteen scene, North American scene, and I, I'm very good friends with a lot of those players, and they will tell you every time the South American players came up, it was free. It <laughs> <laughs> was free. So, but, um. 12 it's funny KOF 12 was like the first big bid in the current modern time to to get King of Fighters back on the map and it was terrible it was so bad and then King of Fighters 13 was kind of like apology edition it was like let's make up for all the bad things that happened but um it's funny because when 12 comes along the fighting game like the fighting game second renaissance hasn't really kicked in yet they had a chance with 12 to get in around the same time when Street Fighter 4 comes out and revitalizes everything. But by the time King of Fighters 13 comes around, Capcom has its hooks back in the public again. And there's too many other horses in the race. And I think that's why King of Fighters kind of fell a little bit by the wayside. But don't sleep on King of Fighters 13. 13 had some great showings at Evo that really showed America and the world how good King of Fighters is, and it's incredible. Uh, King of Fighters 13 was a beautiful game. Unfortunately, so far, King of Fighters 14, it's like it looks like there's an even an even game curse now with King of Fighters, where 14 <laughs> is looking pretty rough. We're hoping it doesn't turn out like 12 did, but yeah, um, I, I, it's very sad to say. I, King of Fighters 13 was a beautiful game, but uh, I don't I don't know if King of Fighters 14 is going to be the one that lets that franchise break through all the all the Capcom noise. Okay, before we move on to the next topic, we're talking Twitter, 140 character or less answers to these. Roberto Cordova wants to know, how do you know if a fighting game is good or great? How quickly it gets people playing one another instead of playing each other's characters. Like, if I could clarify even, like, the sooner we get from Ryu versus Ken to Vince versus Tim, the better a fighting game is, in my opinion. Ooh. That's a great-ass answer. Bass Patterson says, what's your favorite fighting game of all time? Street Fighter Alpha 2. Scott Rabadou says, thoughts on Street Fighter 5 as a platform versus incremental full releases? Uh, super smart. Ensures uh, no fragmentation of the player base and makes it so that, theoretically, if I'm grinding enough online, I don't ever have to pay another dime for another version of Street Fighter. Final question. Paul Apology wants to know, have you finally decided to main someone in Street Fighter Five? Yeah. Who? Yeah, it's 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 Rashido. It's Rashid. Yeah, Rashid is my man. Rashid's the dude. Rashido. I'm really just happy. <laughs> the theme that is too high. You can't mess with the theme. It's All right. Please write a oh, book on fighting games. Wait, before, before we go, before we go, topic three brought to you by Harry's. Guys, everybody knows good things come in sets of threes. That's why this 
is the sponsor of the third topic. What does that have to do with anything? Well, get this. March is the third month of the year. It also happens to be our friends over at Harry's three-year anniversary as a business. And if you're new to Harry's, I got a special deal for you to try three of their expertly crafted five-blade German razors, a handle, and shave cream for just $10 with the offer code Kind of Funny Games. Or offer code KFG. Why pay $32 for an eight, $8 pack of blades when you can get them for half the price at Harry's.com? I got the best shave I've had in a long time recently. I've, I've been growing out the beard for a while. Mm-hmm. But just for this GDC, you see this? Is that nice, clean Harry's goodness? Harry's blades are super sharp and provide a close, comfortable shave. The Harry's starter blades and are great. Harry's, hold on, I'm lost in my thing. Harry's doesn't like to discount because their prices are already really low, but we worked out a special offer for you guys. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code KFG, so stop overpaying for a great shave. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter code KFG at checkout for your $5 off. Topic four, as always, brought to you by the Kind of Funny Forums. Go to kindoffunny.com slash gamescast topic. Leave your topic, and we'll get to it on the show. But Greg, yeah, you have some special news for me. Yes. Kevin, please move. We're about to have a moment. Yeah, you know what to do, Kevin. You I'll fucking idiot. I'll get up for this one. Thank you, Colin Moriarty. Um, Since, you know, I was replaced anyway. You'll understand what it means in a minute. Please, yeah. Please, please leave, Colin. Please leave. I like that Vince is a little confused right now, probably. But it's a special Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to catch of. a moment on camera. A rare personal moment. I don't share a lot of my personal life. Mm-hmm. I don't, there, we're not many of my moments are captured on camera in my real life. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time, I'm going to meet the one and only Nicole Tan. Nicole Tan, <laughs> please come here. How are you? Please come sit here. Hello. I'm Greg. Obviously. <laughs> to meet you. I'm Tim. Nice to nice meet you. Meet you. Oh, I'm Vince. <laughs> nice to meet you. So now, Greg, if you away. don't know Nicole Tan, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you would know her from when I won the Game Award back in December. Mm-hmm. I thanked her in my speech and, then, and talked uh, about developers and developing and stuff. And then, as I said in the speech, I had, I had never met you before. Yeah. Uh, so now here we are. You're right here. You got to scoot Make up. sure you talk okay. really Kevin, close Kevin to Kevin will yell at me if I don't make you yell <laughs> into the microphone. It's true. You do that sometimes. So... Thank you for finally coming to meet me. Yes, um, thank you for having me. <laughs> no, thank you for allowing us to use your name on t-shirts. The one I am currently wearing. That was a t-shirt Tuesday one. Um, is Has this been weird for you? Yes, uh, quite weird. Way to make it uh, weird, Greg. <laughs> I mean, we got to address the elephant in the room. This is definitely, um, I guess I've never been much in the public kind of light before. So. Yes, welcome to it. <laughs> They're bright, thank aren't you. they? <laughs> <laughs> So this has been a very surreal experience, yeah. starting from the moment that I heard you mention my name. So were you watching the Game Awards? I was actually at work when it happened, Okay. so I personally wasn't watching it live, but my coworkers were. Okay. So as I was working, I just hear half the office erupt into laughter, Yeah. <laughs> and they just call me over, and they're like, "Did you do you know Greg Miller? And I'm like, not personally, no. Did you know of me beforehand? I heard your name yeah, yeah. before like IGN and, and sure, sure, not, sure. but like I haven't I didn't actually follow kind of no no I understood I was just wondering how much of like who is this jelly bean <laughs> on the TV talking about me right now no 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 that makes sense there was a little bit of that good. <laughs> okay good no I want that's why the way it should be um so did they so I mean what was your reaction did you I mean when you you find out that this is happening um 
first reaction was there's got to be someone else named Nicole Tan that you're referring to. <laughs> <laughs> But then as she elaborated more, I was like, wow, he is referring to me. That's and me. it was just <laughs> shock. Well, thank you for allowing me to do that, even though I didn't ask your permission or give you any chance. To, thanks for being cool about it, I guess. Because yeah. that was my concern is that if I, you know, I, I wanted it to be somebody I didn't know, I wanted it to be just somebody out of the credits of a game I had just beaten. And so when I scrolled through and found you, I was like, okay, great. And then there was like, as you're, I'm getting ready to say it, I'm like, I wonder if she's going to be mad that I'm blowing up her spot like this. Or uh, My main concern was like, what if you had left Crystal Dynamics at that point? Because I didn't want it to be like, she just did Tomb Raider. And then like you turned on your LinkedIn, you left a while ago, and this was that and the other thing. Yeah. Well, I am curious. Why my name of that list? I mean, it was one of those, I, it was, I, you know, it was random to, to an extent, yeah. right? It was that I looked up and I knew that I wanted to find somebody uh, off the list that wasn't like a head. I didn't want it to be yeah. somebody I would have interviewed or PR person before. And I didn't want it to be somebody who's like in charge of their department. I wanted it yeah. to be somebody that when I go, when we do these studio tours, we go, you know, get to see a game early. We walk through right, and you get the tour and it's always like, and this is the art pod and this is this pod. Yeah. And, that, and there's all these people working that you never get a chance to say thank you to. So I wanted it to be somebody that I'd never said thank you to before or that I because like full disclosure, this is a funny story. I don't I, I only tell people off camera. This is exclusive exclusive <laughs> is that originally I'd, I'd also I'd beaten uh, Tomb Raider and I had just uh, platinumed Batman Arkham Knight. And so I went through Arkham Knight and picked somebody. And I was like, oh, great. Uh, did the same thing. Kind of let the credits roll. And I looked up and picked somebody. Yeah. And I went and checked her Twitter. And she had just won a BAFTA. And I was like, <laughs> I can't say that development is a thankless job. <laughs> and literally the random name I picked just won a BAFTA. So I was like, oh, I just beat Rise of Tomb Raider. So I yeah. went through and watched the credits there and found you and did it that way. And I wanted to be a game that meant something to me. A game that I thought was important for the year. And that, you know. That was awesome, and especially if I, it was. I lucked out that when I was the you know art that is what I looked up at, yeah. seeing as how like I think that game is so beautiful and so <laughs> breathtaking. So thank you for being a part of my moment and letting me. Thank you. Has it been weird since? Is it was it just that one day and it was kind of normal then? Um, my coworkers have teased me for a while after. <laughs> Sorry, don't worry. We tease him about being the trending gamer, so it's he gets his due. No, I mean sure. I celebrate it. Yeah, <laughs> Colin's still upset that Colin Colin's still upset that he just wasn't thanked prominently enough. Oh. He's still very. <laughs> It's fine. It's no big you know, deal. Sick, I did all your work. It's, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's no big deal. You made it on the shirt, though, Colin. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Thanks for everything you've done for games. Thanks for making games. Yeah. Thank you for calling us out. I mean, it was definitely appreciated from game developers. And Good. And how old are you two? Uh, 27. God. You, 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 what's it, when did you graduate high, high school? <laughs> what year? How old were you? Uh, when I was nine. When you were nine, you graduated high school? Yes. How old, how old were you when you graduated college? The first time, 15. The first the time. The first time. <laughs> What's that even mean? What is he? And that's the thing. I pick somebody at random, and then they're like, oh, okay, cool. And here's her PAX panel about how she's brilliant and all these things. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> are all are all video game developers like you? <laughs> the game developers are definitely they're a very special group. There's They have all kinds of like quirks and specializations, and I don't like Everyone's unique. <laughs> awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Give me another handshake. Me. Thank you for everything. And thanks again for the t shirt. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. Thank you. Is Colin coming back? You kick, you kick I me mean, off. Colin literally well, left the room see. right yeah. as that happened. <laughs> we got eight minutes down. left. So oh let's, my God, eight minutes to say it away. If there's another thing I know about you, Vince, oh God, it's that you like JRPGs. I do. So, what's your favorite JRPG? Anthony Anguililo wants to know. Oh God. 
Which one's Zeal? Yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot of exactly what is your favorite, but which Persona what comes 4. to mind Persona when I say what are your favorite JRPGs? See, Persona 4 Golden Uh-oh. is this tough thing. Okay. Because it, it almost works against it that it's so relatively young. Mm, mm, mm. Because there's this encrusted entrenched golden age say it that people don't want to walk away from and even me like it like as soon as someone asks me this question my lips just want to be like chrono trigger <laughs> you know like you know or you know final fantasy 6 you know um correct but uh <laughs> <laughs> well i'd say wild arms over final fantasy 6 but I agree with you there. Wow, Wild Arms. Yeah, Wild Arms. I love. I mean, I like. With the exception of Mega Man Three, maybe my favorite game of all time. I love. I didn't. I never knew that about you. And I, now I love Wild Arms. I think it's a little. I think the reason that Wild Arms isn't in the necessarily the upper upper pantheon for me is because it's like an ex, it's excessively brown. You know, like it's during that time of like just super brown art design. Well, it's also know. like Wild West and desert. Yeah, and I guess that was kind of part of the intention too. Not that it's all desert, but yeah, yeah no, yeah. no. I, I mean, I agree with you though. It's one of those things. Where it's hard to let go. Yeah, of those it is. games because I, I played Persona 4 Golden for maybe ten hours or something like that, and it's a special game. I just I actually got distracted and I stopped playing it. It's definitely a special, unique, uh, resonant game that had me intrigued. But I could tell you just from playing ten hours of that game, no matter how good it is, that it doesn't have the same like it just doesn't have the same impact of playing those games at that time because of what they meant um, and like the evolution of say Dragon Quest Four in 1991 or 1992 to Final Fantasy. 3 slash 6 in 1994 is a fucking massive leap where like Persona 4 could have existed at that time. Yeah, and and the, also the, the key thing similarly to what you're saying there too is that and this is a problem that MMOs have had as well and oh, and more recently I think I think open world, you know, games of all kinds are running into it is that the inherent advantage that RPGs had over other genres at the time is that they were several orders of magnitude larger, deeper, and more complex than everything else you could play on a console. There was nothing else you could play on a console that had a world that big. <coughs> Pardon me. That had that many, yeah. It's getting me, <laughs> getting me emotional. Um, no, that had a world that big that had that many stats, skills, mechanics to track and, and, and think about. Um, nothing was as sophisticated as like when when Fantasy Star Two came out on the Genesis, there was like no video game on because I didn't play PC games at the time, so like there was no game video game available that was even close to the size, depth, or breadth of Fantasy Star Two. Now in the day and age of of like say Persona Four, you know Golden, or when Persona Five comes out, you know this year, you know Persona Five, I I'm sure I will love with my whole heart. But it's missed the opportunity that no that we are past the point in in time in video game development where a JRPG what comes with that territory is that it's just way bigger, more complex, and richer than any other kind of game out there. Like now we have action games that exist in an open world. We have shooters that exist in an open world. We have other RPGs that exist in a totally open world. There's no way in which a traditional by the numbers JRPG can dwarf other genres in terms of size and sophistication anymore. Not because they've gotten less sophisticated, but because all the other genres have become more so. And so that inherent edge doesn't exist. So when you like, I, so I guess what I'm saying is I agree with you. Like persona four is a masterful, masterful JRPG easily in my opinion, in the top 10 of all time. Um, but it's very hard for me to allow it to eclipse 
games like Fantasy Star 2 or Final Fantasy 4 or Final Fantasy 6 or Chrono Trigger because those games in terms in 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 very material ways stood head and shoulders technically and artistically above the rank and file of their time and when Persona 5 comes out this year and even when Persona 4 came out in the time when it originally came out they they weren't they couldn't have been because the rest of the world had caught up so much yeah and i also think that rpgs just bled in everything and yeah. I, I think that that was the the major thing like when you really yeah. think about the dna the genetics of games the way they are today yeah. like the most important thing that happened to madden for instance was like dnd yeah yep you know like like the, the, the most important thing that happened to a lot of these games is in fact like these pencil and paper <laughs> role playing games from the 70s yeah, now it's like if your game You're doesn't go, have. I have to go win another award. Okay, South by Southwest. Good, good <laughs> Love you. Do I have to? Great. Am I, am I, am I, am I out of here? Good luck, right? No, we're gonna wrap we up. Wish you the best. So okay, cool. Um, uh, yeah, final question for you. Shoot. Stephen Oslin wants to know what game are you most excited for this year? That hasn't already come out. Mm-hmm. Of what's left. There's a lot left. You're saying it like oh, no, no, Street no. Fighter it for you? Oh no! It, well, that's, I guess that's what I'm saying. Is it's not that there's nothing big coming out. It's that oh, that this makes year, sense. Okay, this year similar to last year actually like was front loaded with games that I was looking forward to. So like last year it was Evolve and Helldivers that I was like frothing at the mouth to have in my life. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this year it was it was Street Fighter Five, XCOM, and Darkest Dungeon were probably like the the, the games that I was like I can't wait. Um, I would say of what's left, No Man's Sky is very high on my list of most anticipated games. Persona 5 is very high on my list of most anticipated games. And I think I think that's... I was going to say Scalebound, but it moved to 2017, so not anymore. Ah. Yeah, I would, say no, I would say No Man's Sky and Persona 5 are probably like the... The the two big ones, big 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 ones for me. And this isn't a question, but Yusuf Magwid says, "Tell Vince that he has a beautiful command of the written word." Oh, and I, thank I agree you so much. Yeah, and I've I've said I've said this before. Oh, but I'll no. reiterate, like Vince, Can I hide? Can I hide? No, you can't. Vince, like, I think I'm a, a good writer, but Vince is way better than I am. And and the like. It's not to it's not to diminish anyone else that, that writes there when I was there because there was a lot of great writers on that set, but you clear like you are like so like you are at the top of that that pyramid to me. So uh, you know Thank many you. props for that. You do have an amazing command of the written word. Thank you so much. You were very well spoken. I, I told you to give you even more compliments. I told <laughs> no. you this when it happened, but uh, go look at IGN's game of the year video when we gave or when they when you gave uh, Last of Us the game of the year video. I remember I shot you doing your whole spiel and like the way that you spoke about that game was just it was an art to itself. And I was so impressed by just the emotion that you had talking about it, and it was it was awesome. So definitely check that out. Thank you so much Thanks, Thank you so for much. joining us it's on the so show. It's always so fun to come here. And You're always you welcome back anytime. <laughs> Thank all of you for yes. watching live and not live. Till next time, I love you.